Welcome to the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain culture that we explore with weekly episodes. I'm Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business has traveled, but my heart is in culture. Today's topic is wild crafting in the Smokies. So uh, we're having a major weather event right now. Uh, flash floods, a creek out back at the metal arc where I am right now is up to the very tip of the, to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, the top. Uh, there's power outages all over the area from Whittier, where our guest is to here. Um, so we might end up doing this in the dark with water around our feet. So <laughs> we hope to, we hope to get through this and we're having a little technical difficulties, uh, with, uh, phones and whatnot. So, but it's going to be an exciting episode because this is, our guest is the renowned Isla Hatter, who's a naturalist, a naturalist who's lived all over the world, from Texas to Spain to the Caribbean, to the Smokies to the Southern Appalachia, but currently lives in Whittier, North Carolina, where she leads hikes, seminars, and talks on wildcrafting. She has been featured on New York Public Television, as well as on multiple magazines, books, newspapers, and DVD projects, and works regularly conducting programs and seminars for the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Hello, Isla. How are you doing? Hi. Am I unmuted? I hope. Can you hear me? No, you're unmuted. You're unmuted. I can. You're doing well. Uh, Is that all right? So, Isla, you grew up in Texas. Yeah, you're doing good. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So, uh, you grew up in Texas. I uh, I lived, you know, in my childhood, I actually lived a couple of years uh, in Texas. My dad went to, you know, got out of the mountains for about three years lived in, Te- in, in Dallas with his family, uh, but that's a big city. Now, you, what part of Pe- Texas were you from? I was born in Houston, but grew up in Austin. They moved there when I was about five months old. Oh, so wow. I was, always, I was always glad that they moved to Austin because I never really liked Houston, although I did live there for a while later on. Yeah, and but you lived in an area where you could learn to go hunt and fish and stuff like that, right? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I I hunted. My my parents were into hunting and fishing a lot, and uh, so and I never had babysitters, so I went with them. Um, sat in many a deer blind and um, shot a, a twenty two when I was five for the first time. And uh, oh yeah, it was a lot of experiences being outdoors. And my father was a developer on Lake Travis, so I had a a, a dual. Um, childhood where it was you know half spent out at the lake and um and half in town you know with piano lessons and that kind of thing so uh it was a great way to grow up to have you know both of those um experiences as part of my uh part of my growing up was wonderful you know i i it's not dissimilar from what i got to experience a little bit though when we ended up back in haywood county the after that time we were more uh you know, rural, but uh, then it, then we got into Maggie Valley and all the whole tourist stuff. So, <laughs> you know, a little bit different experience. Um, so you all plants very good. 
more than understand native plants and make food from native plants when you're in, in Texas? My, um, my parents had gone through two world wars and a depression. When people ask me, well, how did you happen to get into this? And, and well, and my parents were so much older when I was born. They were 17 years married before they had just me as the only child. So they didn't know if they'd be around to see me grown. So they taught me everything they knew about, you know, hunting and fishing and wild foods and things that, you know, that they'd had to subsist on during those uh, hard times. So um, that's one of the reasons that um, I learned so much from my my mother, you know, taught me a lot about um, wild things. One of my early memories, I was about five or six, I guess, standing on the hood of the station wagon, reaching up in to get the wild grapes and then taking those home and standing on a chair with my mother's apron tied around my neck and helping her make jelly out of them. So, yeah, we were uh, wild things were just part of part of my, you know, growing up, it was just part of life. It wasn't anything unusual to me at the time. No, I, uh, I remember making blackberry gravy with my grandmother. Nobody really knows about that much anymore, but it was basically, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it was regular gravy, but you ended up putting blackberries in it. It was really good. Blackberry juice. That's a new one for me. My, um, my ancestors were out of Tennessee, and the things that they found that were, you know, familiar to them in East and Central Texas were things that, you know, got passed down in the family. And uh, so when I did move to Tennessee, then, of course, I found so many things that I was already familiar with because either the same plants or, you know, something in the same family was was there in Texas. So, yeah, there was a great connection with that. So it did come down from you know, grandmother to my mother and then on down to me. Oh, I know. Hey, you know, your bio says you lived in the Caribbean. Where'd you, where'd you live? Well, I was actually, I was, I stayed there some. I was a stewardess with um, Pan Am. Um, after, um, well, I went to the University of Texas, obviously, because I wasn't living in Austin, and then art school in Houston and didn't want to get married, although there was great, distinct possibility that I would do that, but I wanted to travel first. So I went with um, Pan Am and um, spent a week in uh, Puerto Rico where we traveled from there to the um, to the islands. So I did a lot of island hopping. And then um, when I had overnights in several, I guess about five countries, um, saw 19, but I actually got to visit five. I did... Um, we stayed in Mexico City, um, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. Um, that weekend, um, oh, I did go to Panama City, got to see the Panama Canal. We stayed overnight there. Um, spent that week in um, Puerto Rico in San Juan and did go to Rio and to um, Buenos Aires, to, Ar- to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And so, so, so uh, at least I got to visit a few countries, but I didn't really get to um, to live there. But I lived all over the um, the South. I did live in, oh, well, outside of Texas then. I was in Florida, based out of Miami for the airline. And then um, lived in three different places, all the way up to Tallahassee. And in between that went to, well, we were in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans. Um, 
Atlanta, Georgia, and um, then of course Tennessee. But in between, uh, one of those times I was in, we did live a year from in Madrid, Spain. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I understand that's beautiful. Yeah. It was it was an incredible experience. It really was. It was a. I didn't realize um, how far north I was. It was kind of kind of strange that I really didn't look at a globe or a map before I moved over there. Uh, I didn't realize how far north that we were until I was visiting a um, parents of a friend of my daughter's that had lived in Germany. And we talked about the cold winters and so forth. She said, well, you're in the same latitude as New York City. And I went, oh, I didn't realize that. And that's why it was so cold for so long. I remember it came Easter and they had a two-week vacation from school and jobs and everybody took off and did, you know, special things in Easter. So um, my husband said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, far enough south, I can take off my coat. <laughs> that's what we did. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> we were so tired of winter clothes. We weren't used to that being raised in the South. I know the winters could get a little long. I have experienced that. So, uh, <laughs> so when you went to all these places, uh, did you did you continue your, your foraging tradition? Did you learn about native plants and making food? I did. Yeah, I was kind of a strange stewardess. I wasn't of the partying kind. I was always asking people. Um, you know, about the names of plants and trees. And I would ask them, well, what did you have for breakfast? You know, and have them bring me whatever their local food was. And um, learned a lot about, you know, the seasonings and plants and things that were, you know, right around there and visiting markets. I would, you know, find the herb shops and things and ask questions. And, you know, I had an, enough Spanish that I could, you know, I could do that. And then in Madrid, it was interesting that they had, um, they had a, um, they had apothecaries and they had pharmacies. So the pharmacia was very white and sterile and people in white coats, you know, and you had prescriptions filled. And then down the street would be a place that just smelled wonderfully earthy. And it was an apothecary. And it's where you went and you had herbal things that were made up for, you know, for the same kind of illness. And there would be a, a list of illnesses on the window and you would check and see what it was you thought you had. You'd go in and ask for whatever was appropriate for that, um, you know, for that illness. And that was pretty neat that that was something that was side by side and part of their culture. Um, they also had um, uh, anise. I thought it was Queen Anne's lace, but it was anise. And anise is one of their um, major exports because they need anisette. And even anisette was used um, for stomach ailments. So, and there was rosemary. There was a, the only thing that they would uh, season the pork with was rosemary, and that rosemary grows wild over there. And that's one of their major seasonings. So, that's you know one of the ways that I picked up some of the things from other cultures is by being aware and asking questions. Wow, that's um, you know that makes you know one of the things they say about travel. Is, is people are looking for memorable experiences. And one of them is to experience the local, you know, to really experience mm -hmm. the local. It creates great memories. And I, I think that sounds like that's uh, the culinary experience and the memories generated by local zine was one of your uh, anticipated experiences to make people uh, memorable. Uh, in a, a memory in San Salvador, I asked the girl to bring me what she had for breakfast. 
and she brought me cold um, fried mashed black beans covered with cream. <laughs> and I wasn't sure. She, I wasn't sure if she was kind of you know pulling a trick on this uh, white lady or she had for breakfast. And I went ahead and tried a little of it, so not to embarrass her. And finally, I said, I think I would like scrambled eggs and ham or something. <laughs> And later on, I found out from who was from Central America. So, oh, yes, that's, you know, they would have leftovers for breakfast. And, you know, uh, black beans and cream is, is, you know, that's cold is not uncommon. That was, you know, very likely exactly what she did have for breakfast. So. Sometimes you didn't get what you want. <laughs> hey, it created, yeah, so, a, it created yeah. a memorable experience. All right. Well, we got to take a break. Back, I want to learn more about your heritage and your uh, person nearby, uh, I'd like to ask about. All right, sure. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest. Isla Hatter. Isla, are you there? There you are. You have to hit the star six to get unmuted. You have to hit star six to get unmuted. So uh, it should take a second, but uh, uh, I understand that uh, she is a descendant of a legendary princess. Uh, called Pocahontas. So I was going to ask about that. Hi, Isla. So you descended from Pocahontas? Oh, you still got to hit the. You got to hit the star six. Try hitting the star six again. And um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people down south that are um, descended from various. Uh, you know, various uh, famous individuals. You know, you, you do your genealogy search and you'd be surprised at what you find out. But I found out, I was just recently doing it and found out the man named Hugh Rogers moved into the, the, the Haywood County in the early 1800s. And he married a woman named Jane Washington. You there, Isla? I'm here. Oh, there you are. Uh, well, I'm anyway. here. I was Hugh, Hugh Rogers and Jane Washington got married. Washington was Washington, and he was the brother of George Washington. So that was a surprise, you know, in my past. So you're you you're the uh, direct descendant of uh, Pocahontas. Is that correct? Yes, I am. I kept asking if there wasn't an Indian that was any closer to present day, and. My mother said, well, at least it's an Indian everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> Be satisfied with that. <laughs> so you learned about it when you were fairly young? Oh, yes. My family was into genealogy. Um, mother and her sister both, they were um, doing that for uh, most of their lives. They were um, members of the Dollars Republic of Texas and the DAR as well. And um, so they knew the they knew the history, and I knew it from the time I was very small. Um, that we were descendants. Mm-hmm. Well, that's of course, there's a hundred thousand of us out there. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of yeah. You know, it starts going out a lot, uh, and you and uh, so 
you know, um, I, you've moved around a lot, right? And and, and sometimes I, I notice that you, you you say you're in the Smokies, and other times you say Southern Appalachia. Where are you? Are, would you consider yourself now a native of the Smokies or Southern Appalachians? I don't know how you separate them, really. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I mean. I'm, I'm more Appalachian now, I think. I, I've been here more years. I used to say I've been in Appalachia more years than I was old when I got here, if that makes sense. Um, of course, you know, I'm I still claim Texas, but um, I'm so much more familiar now with um, with Appalachian culture and heritage and and teaching in classes at um, the John C. Campbell Folk School as well, and also about the Cherokee. So that's been, um, I guess, the last half of my life has been focused on, you know, the heritage of the region that I I have adopted or has adopted me, if you want to put it that way. Is that how you got here as you came to teach? No, um, kind of a roundabout way. My I was back in Texas. I was in Tallahassee. My mother was killed in an accident and being an only child, and I ended up in Austin, moved back there. But my daughter was getting married in Atlanta. And my mother was renting a room to a lady who was moving back for, back to Texas from Gatlinburg. And she was there, you know, temporary while they were uh, buying a house. And she said that if I were to come by way of Gatlinburg to Atlanta for the wedding, that I could pick up the um, punch bowl and silverware and all the, you know, fine things for a first class wedding um, and take it for the wedding for my daughter and then back to Texas and she wouldn't have to pack all those things. And I could take it, you know, back um, home for her. So that's how come we ended up in Gatlinburg and thought about it and realized it was a lot closer to Atlanta to be near my daughter and, you know, future grandchildren than to be a thousand miles away in Texas. So we backed out of some property we were going to buy and build a house on in, in um, Austin and decided that weekend that we were in Gatlinburg um, and we found out that mother's house had sold while we were there. So that weekend, then we bought a rental chalet for a, um, income and our log cabin and went to the wedding in Atlanta and said, no, we're not going to be Texas ranchers. We're going to be, Tennessee Mountaineers, I guess. <laughs> so it all changed in the space of just a, you know, that weekend, really. And uh, my cat is trying to come be part of the scene here. She's gotten up on it. Yeah. But that's how we ended up um, here. So I was 12 years in uh, Gatlinburg and then um, in 94 moved over to, um, with my second husband, moved over here to North Carolina. Fabulous. You finally got on the right side of the Smokies. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I always say. I say, God, yeah. it, it got it got too crazy and busy on that side. This is the quiet side, and I've yeah. I've, I've never regretted coming. Even though my ancestors were Tennessee, and you know, and I I happened to move there the year of homecoming, and I told folks, oh, it took five generations, but one of us finally got back home and lived <laughs> in a log cabin as well. So, <laughs> but now it was we're we're delighted to be on this side and. We actually came over to this side because of um, my uh, adopted Cherokee grandmother. She adopted me. It wasn't the other way around. Um, Amanda Sequoia Swimmer 
um, we had been coming over. Jerry had been um, visiting with her for several years before I came along in his life. And that's how I got to meet her. And then um, she, <laughs> you know, she and I then got to talking about, you know, how she had things that she had done, you know, foodstuffs and seasonings and wild things, you know, for raising her family. And uh, so that's, that's and we, we felt like we needed to come over the mountain to kind of, you know, be near her and take care of things for her. Cool. And that's how come we came across the North Carolina. Well, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're known, you're uh, known as, a, uh, you're actually a well-known, a world-renowned uh, naturalist. And I know that's for a fact because we were having a event here talking about you coming here, and you know people were like, "Oh wow, oh wow!" They were really like impressed. So you know, uh, you know, my hands are well. But you refer to you as wild crafting. Wild crafting. What exactly does that mean? What does it entail? It it means farming the woods. The word originally in um, in England is wild crofting, which which again means um, farming the woods using the forest resources, and in some cases actually, um, like over there for crofting, they would actually cut um, trees in order to have firewood. They would keep trees cut back, and then they'd come back up, you know, with multiple sprouts. And as those then got hard, then they would come back, and they would, you know, then they'd have a bundle of sticks for, you know, for cooking fires and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the forest resources, and the word got changed into wild crafting. So it's it's not making crafts out of things out of the woods, but it's how people, you know, would use the um, forest resources for food, medicine, um, you know, rope, um, all kinds of, you know, ways that, you know, they would shingles, you know, for instance, all kinds of things that would come um, out of the woods. Cool. And and. Did you become an expert in this field through a study or experience or, you know, or did you, did you go to uh, any school for botany or anything? I was, I was a week away from um, signing up for a course in ethnobotany at um, the University of, um, or F, let's see, I was in Tallahassee, so that would have been um, FIU, uh, not FIU, um, FSU. Um, and I was just, I was close to getting a, a, a course, and that was when um, I got word that my mother had killed and I had to move to Texas. So I didn't get, and that's as close as I ever got to an actual botany course, but I have, um, you know, known people who've actually experienced it. I have, I had very good friends who were uh, botanists. Um, one of my main um, teachers for some 30 years was Marie Mellinger, who was one of the first writers in Foxfire. Elliot Wigginton mm -hmm. and um, she and um, her husband had been um, botanists for um, most of their lives and she had started a group called the Incredible Edibles Club there in North Georgia out of Clayton where she lived and um, I studied with her went to that group meetings we met from April to October one weekend a month and everything we ate for the weekend um, had to have a wild edible in it and of course you can't talk about you know, food without, you know, any plant without talking about its medicinal properties. Uh, food is medicine and medicine is food. So we learned both of those, you know, while we were out with her. So she was my, I guess, my main mentor. And then coming up here, then I learned a lot of, you know, the Cherokee things and how they used, 
different things from, you know, from Grandma Mandy. But, yeah, that was, uh, I, I, I wish I could have had a botany class. And one of my good friends' uh, son uh, was taking botany at uh, UT. And I was telling him, I said, I, you know, I wish I had had some classes. He said, oh, he said, but you know the fun stuff. He said, you can get the <laughs> He said, that's what people want to know. You know, they want the stories about it and how people use it. He said, that's the fun part of it. He said, you can get the botanical names out of a book. That's no problem. And so I kind of said, oh, okay. All right. I guess that's okay then. So I I stopped being concerned about it. Well, you can answer answer a question for me. I had a a moonshiner, uh, I think, on uh, somebody in the liquor space and was talking about, you know, Moonshine, and it was mentioned that municipal recipes, you know, municipal, you know, uh, recipes in the mountains for curing all sorts of ills, but they said it wasn't activated unless you put a, a little bit of moonshine in it. Now, is moonshine necessary to make mountain remedies work? <laughs> well, actually, for some things, yes, because some of those plant, um, uh, chemicals that you you want um that are the medicinal part some of them are um only soluble in um in alcohol and you know some are fine in water and you make tea out of it but others you wouldn't get the benefit of it unless you actually did soak it in alcohol so yes that's great i've done the old timer stuff was true that's fantastic that's true it's absolutely true you you did have to you did have to have it. And some of the moonshiners then, knowing how to distill things, they could also, once the season was passed for um, making shine, then they could distill uh, herbal, you know, the extracts and things, you know, because they knew how to make the distillation process. So they were, cool. you know, they were good, you know, making herbal remedies as well. So we're going to take another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'd love to talk about uh, some of, indigenous beliefs and learning in your work. Okay. Howdy, this is Joseph. Back with the gateway to the past, and my and my guest Isla Hatter, uh, who is a, a renowned naturalist specializing in w- wild crafting, which she explained to us earlier. Uh, Isla, you there? She, we, we're you there? Nope, you're still. You're going to hit the star six again. You're going to have to hit star six again. We're we're having technical difficulties. We're in the mountains here, and we're having a huge storm with flash fluid warnings and so we've had to work out how to get here you know still not still try to get another a star six yeah um and so uh you know the uh the the we've, we've put together a way to do this but uh it does have a little bit of a hiccup in terms of how we get the the mute unmute coming coming back off coming back off okay there we go all right hey. there we go hey. got it there you go. There we go. So okay. you have, um, you know, you have some deep Native American. You got me. Yeah. 
so you have deep Native American roots, right? And you you actually told you know told it told it the you know a big part of the reason you ended up in North Carolina side of the Smokies is your mentor, uh, Cherokee mentor. So would you think that do you find that indigenous beliefs and learning is deep in your work? Very much so now, especially you know here living in um, in the Smokies and Appalachia. It's, um, I think in the beginning that um, as the white um, settlers moved in and, you know, many times were were saved by what the um, Indian neighbors knew, um, you know, to heal them. And then, of course, they, you know, picked up the information from them. And I think there was a lot of sharing originally um, between uh, mountain people and um, and Cherokee and even in, you know, some of the other uh, cultures that were, you know, Shawnee and Catawba and, you know, different states that were, you know, in Southern Appalachia. Um, I think they learned from each other. Um, the, when the, when the settlers came here, they had the, um, they did have herbal knowledge from Europe and they added, um, they knew about, they, they knew quite a few, um, uh, you know, herbal remedies, but they added about 250 to the pharmacopoeia from the uh, from the Indian uh, neighbors that we still use some of those today. I'm sure they're they're part of the pharmacopoeia. So it was a it was a good sharing, I think, between the cultures. Fabulous. Um, you know, you know the um, I want to sort of dig deep for a little bit here. here. After you calling it wild crafting, right? What, what was the what was the what was the first, what, what was the nature of your work at the beginning, and then how did it evolve over time? What you know, you, I know you do a lot of learning and a lot of uh, experimenting, but how has it manifested itself in in the things that uh, people enjoy or people learn from? Started with the foods, um, and I started I started teaching in Tallahassee. Um, I got involved in the Florida Native Plant Society, and they didn't have anybody that knew that much about the, the wild foods. Um, they were, you know, botanists, and they were a lot of them aquatic botanists. And I went in and told them what I did, and I and I said, "Do you have anybody that's, you know, teaching that here?" And they looked at me and they said, "We do now." <laughs> so I started then. Um, but then when I came up here to the um, to Gallenberg, and I started going to the um, the Smoky Mountain Field School and the uh, Wildflower Pilgrimage and Dr. Ed Klepsch, um, who was uh, Professor Emeritus of uh, Botany for uh, UT there in Knoxville, and he was one of the um, main leaders. And he would be talking about, you know, the different plants and identifying and, you know, and, and saying, well, I've heard tell people would eat this and they would cook. I'm not sure how they would cook and how they prepare it. And I would be raising my hand in the group saying, well, I, I know. And so eventually, <laughs> after a couple of years, um, when he left to on a sabbatical to start his native plant um, nursery, the university said, well, your classes are so popular. Who, who, you know, would you suggest could take them over? And he suggested me, which surprised me because I didn't have a botany degree. And they told me, they said, that's not important. You just have to know the subject. And he feels like you know the subject. 
So at that point, then, because it was including so much of the medicinal, that's when I began actually studying um, to, you know, be sure that I could add enough of that, you know, into it. And so that that's how that started. And I really, you know, thanked him so many times for getting me started on what became a career because my background actually for 27 years before I moved here was in graphic arts. But I decided that since I was going to have to, you know, learn how to do all that on computers, I didn't want to be in front of a computer for eight hours a day. I wanted to be with people. And as my um, husband, Jerry, had said, well, as for something you want to do to make a living, what do you like to do the most? And I said, talk. (laughs) (laughs) He said, got it. Well, as it turns out. I've, I've got to, I always joke about this when I do my, my Cherokee classes. You don't necessarily want to ask for an Indian name. I didn't ask for one, but I got one anyway. Uh, we were with Grandma Mandy one time, and she was talking about her grandchildren and the names that she'd given them. She always gives them an Indian name at birth. And he said, well, Grandma, you keep saying that Isla would, you know, is one of your daughters. Well, if she'd actually been born to your family, what name would you have given her? Without batting an eye, she said, Uli, that's U-L-I. And I said, oh, Grandma, what's that mean? She said, locust. And I thought, well, I'm a naturalist, you know, named for a locust tree. That's pretty neat. She said, no, 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 not that tree. It's that little bug that comes out every seven years and won't shut up. (laughs) (laughs) She said you were a talker or what? (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Wow. So that's what we've been doing is talking to make a living for the last 30 years or more. <laughs> wow. It's worked out. Well, you also cool. written, you wrote a book, didn't you? Um, you wrote a book, the, the Incredible Animals Group um, put together, and part of it's mine, and part of the illustrations are mine, and Marie gave me the rights to it. Uh, Roadside Rambles is a cookbook um, with 390 wild food recipes in it. And they, um, then I did DVDs. We have um, um, uh, Wild Edibles and Medicinals of Appalachia. And um, and then I did um, three um, folkways programs with UNC TV, uh, which is our you know, local PBS with, uh, with David Holt. And I did three um, programs for um, our state as well. So, yeah, so I've... Um, I've been in a lot of magazines, uh, Blue Ridge Country, and recently Garden and Guns, and um, oh, any number of publications and things. And was actually on CNN one time. That so was you, a, if you've, uh, was that a good experience? <laughs> that was frightening. <laughs> going into going into a billion homes worldwide is a big sign as you walk in. And Jerry looked at me and said, "How do you feel?" I went, "Oh." I had a I had a brief CNN experience. It wasn't nothing major, but uh, I got interviewed on the street in New York City about some sort of thing, and I got excited and I yeah. called my mom and told her I was going to be on the show on this on the on the, on the, t- on the news show, and she watched and then she called me screaming, and I said, "What you screaming about?" She said, "You're bald. You're bald." I had shaved my head that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that was what impressed her the most. <laughs> well, she was shocked, so she didn't even know I'd done that. So it was like I've been bald ever since. 
goodness. <laughs> oh, me. Uh, no, no, no. So, so another fine naturalist on the show, Adam Bigelow. And, uh, and oh, I know you're okay. familiar with others like George Ellison and Dan, uh, Don Hendershot, oh, yeah. and Dan Pitchlow. But uh, how's your how's your wild how's your wild crafting different from what they do? Um, probably most similar to Adam, since he does the you know the walks and talks about you know, and I've given him some. Uh, well, he tells stories about plants, you know, and things that he's um, experienced with them. And I occasionally, when we've crossed paths, I've given him some stories and said, "You're welcome," you know, to these stories because you know we see each other at the um, uh, Native Plant Conference over at uh, Western Carolina. And um, so we, we're we pretty similar. Um, Dan and I are good friends too. And Dan is just an incredible botanist. And we've done walks um, with um, O'Allen and Joyce Kilmer and, you know, various things. We see each other every year at the um, Wildflower Pilgrimage. Um, and I guess mine is uh, different because I actually serve food to people. I give everybody a taste of the wild so that they have some idea of how they can incorporate some of the things that are growing outside in their yard or something that they that's come up in their garden that they might want to actually include as, you know, part of their um, harvest before they've even planted anything. So I want them to kind of know, you know, how good these things are. And so every class, I always um, prepare something that's appropriate to the season. Back when I lived in Gatlinburg um, and had the log cabin, I was close enough to the park that I would bring them home, and we had a full course meal. It was from appetizer to, you know, to dessert. The whole meal was was wild foods, but I haven't done those in a number of years. I just do a taste of the wild now. I think that's how I differ is that I actually prepare food for folks. Well, that seems to be a bit, be the uh, the your hallmark from the beginning, right? From those classes you were doing with that professor, raising your hand to say, "I know how to make it." Right? To now, so there's a there's a tactical there's a tactical expertise that you have. You got to get your hands in and actually produce, right? It's that's the art. That's right. why it goes back to the art, right? Yeah. Somebody asked me one time, like we were out in the uh, foraging around my cabin, and somebody said, "So." Uh, what are we picking for the salad? And I said, you're standing in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, we're going to take our final break now and come back and finish up with a little, uh, you know, some of the programs that people can experience with you right now. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Isla Hatter. Isla, are you there yet? She's, we've, again, as I was saying, we're in a big storm and uh, sometimes that happens in the Smoky Mountains and flash flood work possibility and things like that. Hi, Isla. Yeah, you know, I think you have to hit star six again. Yeah, the, the, we're dealing with multiple technologies here at the same time. And, you know, uh, sometimes the uh, the mountains. I was I'm doing. I have a hard time a little bit with wireless. 
going around trying to get a cell phone. You got to go to find the right spot to stand in, <laughs> or you don't get any uh, don't get any service at all. But then other places you get beautiful, clear service. So it's like claiming your spot here and understanding what you got to do. But we've been talking about um, wild crafting, uh, which is you know exploring the the natural wonders of food in the in the, in the mountains and and uh, you know recipes and medicinal plants and and naturalist naturalists is a big uh, is a big industry here in the, in the mountains. I don't know if you've been seeing our previous programs, but uh, it's been ginseng. You there, Ila? Ila? No, you still got to try one more time. Star six. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she had to call in our phone. So she's got to do this. The, this <laughs> Zoom needs to do something about it so the engine can turn people back on. There, you there yet? Not yet. Well, Isla does a lot of uh, a lot of programs with uh, uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, you know, various various of the major major um, major um, uh, schools and systems uh, schools and whatnot here in the in the mountains. Um, She's a guest instructor for the Great Smoky Mountains Institute, Tremont, the John C. Campbell Folk School, the Mountain Retreat Center, Snowbird Mountain Lodge, and she's a member of the Yellow, a charter member of the Yellow Creek Botanical Institute, and a storyteller for elder hostels in three states. In three states, so there's a lot of education opportunity had about mountains in the mountains. Um, and botanicals. Hey, Ila, you back there? For some reason, the star six is not working quite as well. Um, so, um, and she still does a lot of programs with all of those. Um, and they're very worthwhile programs to go to. Um, she was going to do one here at the Meadowlark Motel. We had just had a, we just had a naturalist weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, personal circumstances dictated that she couldn't make it, but everybody was there, um, really, uh, hopefully anticipating. Isla, did it work? I think it worked this time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, uh, I was just, I was just, I was just bragging about you. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> I mentioned some of the programs that you're involved with, uh, and you've done some, you've done some programs with the Great Smoky Mountains National Park for years. How, 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 what, what kind of program? Um, that's with UT, um, the Smoky Mountain Field School. And it's in the UT non-credit uh -huh. program. And the links are on my website, which is wildcrafting.com. And there are uh, links there to the classes. And there's a, a myriad of, of programs and things that people can, you know, be part of. Mine are foraging and folklore. And I've got one coming up um, October 9th, which is on um, Cherokee uh, foods and folklore. Um, that's going to be on this side of the park in Cherokee. And yeah. then um, I have um, the John C. Campbell Folk School coming up in um, May 1st of next year, which is um, uh, titled after my favorite quote from um, uh, from Thoreau, which is, the woods and fields are a table always spread, mm -hmm. and that's the title of the, of the program. So those are the next uh, the next two coming up, the, the field school and then that. 
Well, which one of the Go programs ahead. would people get to taste the most? <laughs> oh, um, anything, anything that I do, um, any of the programs that I do, I always bring a, a, a taste of the wild. So um, you'll get some Cherokee foods um, on October 9th. We'll actually uh, probably make some um, Cherokee uh, chestnut bread, probably, and, and have sumac um, lemonade tea. Uh, most people don't realize that the um, koala reservation, koala is actually um, the word for sumac. Koala and koala ghee are the words for sumac. Oh. But they'll tell you it was Polly because um, Polly's farm is where they started the, um, the survey from. But there's no P in the Cherokee language. So they called her Quali. And so it's actually the Sumac Reservation, if you really want a, a specific translation. But anyway, that's that's what they'll have for um, October. And then they'll actually uh, forage and cook things at the Camel Folk School because it's a week-long class. Cool. What's, what's your, what do you think is the, the tastiest wild uh, plant in the mountains? Ooh, I've got several. Um, one of my favorites as far as vegetables goes uh, is lamb's quarters um, because you can use that any way that you use spinach, any spinach recipe. That's one of my favorites. Um, as for, uh, and then ramps, of course, uh, if anybody is, you know, from Appalachia, they're, you know, they know about ramps, which is industrial strengths, onions, what yeah. I call them. A uh, lot of ways to use those um, that not many things that you would, you know, uh, raw uh, elderberries of course but they have to be cooked but elderberries are you know I made I won third prize in Florida State Fair for um, elderberry wine so that tells you how good it is and then um, we have what I call mountain wasabi which is toothwort which has a um, horseradish flavor and I've been known to take a roast beef sandwich and put the toothwort leaves in it for the condiment and um, and for the, the lettuce, quote unquote, for the sandwich. So those are, you know, and then there's spice bush. Um, I use that a lot. Spice bush is um, use the limbs um, for tea. Learned that from the Cherokee. And then the um, the berries are dried and used like a, a native allspice. And well, I thanks. keep those, and grind them up, use them in all kinds of pastries and cookies and things. Well, thank you for... Uh joining our show um, and people can find out more about you at wildcrafting.com, correct? Right. Yes. And, and right. Wildcrafting.com or they can email me at Isla at wildcrafting.com. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, and so thank you for being on the show. It's been a wonderful show. And uh, I look forward to tasting some of your stuff in the new, near future. Uh, oh, very good. We'll do that. Okay, cool. I know a, a message from our sponsors. Imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Um, we're also sponsored by SmokiesAdventure.com, Smokies, plural, adventure, singular.com, where you can find event listings, uh, places to go, things to do, 
all sorts of hiking information, camping, resources to enjoy your time in the mountains. I'm part of the talkradio.nyc network. We appear every Tuesday, 6 to 7, on this, uh, on the, uh, as a live podcast. But there's many other great live podcasts on this network. I encourage you to go uh, and find, go to uh, talkradio.nyc, find out ones that will be relevant to you, and especially follow one that follows this one about New York. Uh, you can find more about this podcast at gatewaytothesmokies.fun or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash gatewaytothesmokiespodcast. I look forward to seeing you next week uh, at 6, 6 p.m. on Tuesday for another great episode of Gateway to the Smokies podcast.